This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about figs. And Lauren is very excited to talk about figs. Yes, mostly because of insects. Yes. But we'll get to that later. It's kind of a horror. It reminds me of Alien a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely, it gets real weird. I, I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. But first, figs. Yeah. What are they? They're both the fruit and the flower of a tree, like a small tree or large shrub in the ficus genus. If you've never seen one, a fig is maybe the size of like a ping pong ball, but teardrop shaped. They have a thin edible skin that may be yellowish green or purplish purple or brown or even black, encasing a uh, pale pulpy lining and many, many wee uh, orangish or reddish florets and yellow seeds. Every fig that you eat contains dozens or even thousands of flowers and seeds. Uh, figs taste very sweet and a little bit like green grassy and have this interesting soft sort of silky sort of crunchy texture from all of those florets and seeds. Hmm. I have to say, I don't have much experience with figs. No? No, I probably had like maybe four in my lifetime. Uh, fresh, dried, both? Fresh, fresh figs and then fig jam. Uh-huh. But... Uh, I have a friend who is a fiend for figs. She'll ask me if she's coming over, should I bring figs? And I always oh, wow. say yes, <laughs> if you want them. Well, it's one of those scarcity things because right. they're really only only good for like 
a very brief time period and they don't ship well. So right. the fresh ones are hard to get a hold of. The dried ones are kind of everywhere. I'll have to keep an eye out for them. Yeah. Uh, and there are hundreds of types of figs aside from the common fig, Ficus carica. And for added fig confusion, <laughs> when a type of fig is introduced or discovered in a new country, a lot of times they give it a different name, meaning one fig could go by several different titles, depending on where you are. They're related to Indian banyan trees and Indian rubber trees, are both also in the ficus genus. The latter, ficus benjamina, is a producer of natural latex rubber, uh, or rubber latex, rather, as a sort of sap. And fig trees and fig fruits also contain latex, which is useful for many things, but can also be an irritant. If you've ever felt like a little bit of itch or burn um, on your on your mouth or lips while you're eating a fig, that's what's up. Huh. Figs are native to a stretch of land that spans from Turkey to northern India, but you can find them growing in a majority of the Mediterranean countries as well. They also grow anywhere with a climate that's on par with the Mediterranean, like Chile, Australia, South Africa, and parts of the U.S. In South Africa's Vonderboom Nature Reserve, there's a large grove of 1,000-plus-year-old parent-daughter fig trees encompassing a 50-meter or 164-feet area. Surrounding the mother fig are three layers of daughter trees, a total of 13 trunks. The branches of the daughter trees, with time, have sagged to the ground and form roots for new trees. Oh, wow. Yeah, and attached around the mother tree. It's really beautiful and quite huge. It looks like something out of The Lion King. Oh, Look it up if you're interested. The name fig derives from the Latin word ficus and the Hebrew word feg. It most likely was first used when the Romans invaded England, as that was the first time the English would have seen fig trees. It was widely adopted for general commercial use by 1250 CE. There are also a number of Figurative terms. Ah, uh, oh, <laughs> around the fig. Um, there's a Greco-Roman and/or Shakespearean English use of the word fig as vulgar slang for the word vulva. Oh, uh, apparently from the look of a ripe fig that's been split open. Um, and uh, there's also an accompanying gesture which still carries a slightly vulgar connotation, wherein um, you put your your thumb tip either between your two middle fingers when you're making a fist. Uh-huh. Um, oh, no. Or or, uh, <laughs> or 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 the tip of your thumb uh, uh, between your teeth, or like up against your 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 upper teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, this totally happens in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, in, in the opening sequence, uh, one of the Capulets mocks some of the Montagues by biting his thumb at them, sir. Oof. Yeah. Man. Rough. Every time I find out about some of these, I, I rapidly rush through times in my life where I've probably done it and offended someone or either just been the source of laughter unbeknownst to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably more it. I I don't think. Anyway, uh, there is also a sense of the word fig as in uh, full fig, as in a full state of dress or preparedness, Um, perhaps either from the abbreviation fig uh, from figure used in illustration plates in old books or from Adam and Eve's fig leaves. Could be either. Mm-hmm. Who knows? As far as nutrition goes, figs have a high fiber and calcium content and decent amounts of potassium, iron, polyphenols, and flavonoids. So they're nutritious-ish. Yeah. Um, they also contain a lot of sugar, about five times as much sugar as fiber. Yes, they have been and still are used medicinally as well, especially as a laxative or a diuretic. And as a cure for boils. Oh, As of 2005, Turkey produced the most figs, with Egypt holding the second spot. 
Since figs both don't keep very long, as Lauren mentioned, after you pick them and they don't do so great when they're being transported, a lot of the commercial fig products involve some type of processing like dried figs or jam. Worldwide production is about a million metric tons per year. And the fig is such a common food in the Mediterranean that has earned the title, the poor man's food. I hear in England there's a saying, I don't give a fig. Please write in to confirm people from England listening. Uh, In the United States, California grows about 98% of our figs. As of 2012, about 94% of those were grown, uh, again, to be dried or, or otherwise processed. Wow. Yeah. Figs can be picked and packed fresh in the field by hand or left to dry on their trees and then treated and sometimes pressed to produce dried figs and and then later processed into other stuff. It takes about four pounds of fresh figs to produce one pound of dried. Okay, I got a question for you before we continue. Yeah? Um, Have you had a lot of dried figs in your day? I guess I have, yeah. I was kind of big on them as, as a snack for a while there. I was I was doing a lot of like okay. trail mix kind of things because it was only the only way that I could responsibly get myself to eat like not potato chips. Okay. <laughs> okay. So maybe I'm just trying to figure out as someone who has very little experience, do, uh, are they mostly eaten just alone or in trail mixes and salads, like dried figs specifically? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that they're they're often because they're they're pretty large. They're again like about the size of a ping pong ball or maybe a little Whoa. bit smaller. So, or they can be. Some of them are a little bit tinier, like like a like a large fresh grape okay. sized. Um, uh-huh. So, so they're they're frequently cut into uh, pieces or or uh, uh, chopped up. And then maybe put into baked goods or used as a as a sugar substitute uh, in jam form. Okay. Or uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, fresh figs definitely are used a lot. Um, my favorite way to eat fresh figs is on pizza. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah it's ludicrously delicious. But um, but yeah, they're they're really good with a with like a sprinkle of balsamic on top of a salad or. Okay. Just just about any way you want to eat them. Okay. <laughs> I'm a big fig fan as, as well. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to, you know, pick your brain. That's Annie's oh. question of the episode for Lauren. <laughs> All right. Please continue. Okay. Uh, the, the leaves, um, aside from adorning uh, Adam and Eve, can be used for cattle feed or processed by the perfume industry to create like a woody, mossy smelling absolute. <laughs> okay. Is that like for men? This is another question um, for, for, for anyone, I uh, suppose. I'm I mean, just it, wondering. You know, depends on what you want to smell like. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and the latex from fig plants can be used in place of rennet to coagulate milk and create cheeses. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. As of 2015, the global fig export market was valued around $429 million dollars. Uh, though that's probably only a fraction of the value of the total production market of figs, as many figs are consumed domestically. Peru, for example, only exports some 3% of its fig production, and it's about the largest producer in South America. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Annie looked down as though she would find the, like, like the answers to why Peru does this in our notes. <laughs> Alas, I didn't. No. However, there is. An anonymous pumpkin in our outline. <laughs> there is. If you're the anonymous pumpkin, let her know. Let us know. Yes, please do. <laughs> There's also here an ad break, after which we will continue into the history, the long, long history of this amazing fruit slash flower.
Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, um, our pre-human ancestors probably ate wild figs. Researchers think this because uh, chimpanzees in some areas make figs essentially their entire diet for a couple months out of the year. Oh, really? Yeah. A diet of figs. Yeah. In either case, figs are one of the first fruits primitive humans cultivated. 
Nine fossilized figs found in the Jordan Valley near Jericho suggest cultivation may go as far back as 9,400 BCE. Oof. If this is true, it makes figs one of the first, if not the very first, known case of agriculture. Ooh. And some historians, as we've sort of hinted at and mentioned in other episodes, think that instead of the apple or the banana, as we said in banana episode, the fig was the, the fruit used to tempt Eve in the Garden of Eden. Ah. Yeah, and at <laughs> the very least, fig leaves were used as their covering of choice, so it would make sense. Um, this use of fig leaves in the place of loincloths pops up in several famous and not-so-famous artworks throughout history. Sometimes these fig leaf coverings were added after the piece was finished to appease the delicate sensibilities of art collectors. <laughs> Heaven forbid <laughs> I see anything that I cannot handle. I'll put these fig leaves over here. <laughs> <laughs> fig leaf blinders, yes, perfect. Yes. Outside of loincloth substitutes, the Bible references the fig a handful of times. One quote each man under his own vine and fig tree has since been used to mean peace and prosperity. Mm-hmm. One fig, the ficus religiosa, or the sacred fig, holds religious significance in Buddhism, Hinduism, and Jainism. Buddhist legend goes that Siddhartha Gautama was sitting under a sacred fig tree, a bow or bodhi tree, when he was enlightened. Ancient Egyptian priests may have eaten figs at their consecration ceremonies. In religions around the world, figs do symbolize peace, prosperity, and fertility. The prophet Muhammad allegedly named the fig as the fruit he hoped most to find in paradise. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Big fan, too. Um, figs probably originated in the northern part of Asia Minor. Records of figs used for food purposes on ancient Sumerian tablets go back to 2500 BCE. From there, they spread throughout the Mediterranean with the Romans and the Greeks. The diet of ancient Romans included a decent amount of figs. Our old pal Pliny wrote about 29 varieties. He had 111 observations on figs, in fact. I kind of want to read them, honestly. (laughs) 111, that's quite impressive. Um, uh, According to him, figs were a food staple for slaves in their place of origin. He also wrote about its potential health benefits. Including... This fruit invigorates the young and improves the health of the aged and retards the formation of wrinkles. And Mm. also, mixed with axle grease, fig milk removes warts. Axle grease? Not sure. A mystery of history. (laughs) (laughs) In the Greek myth of Romulus and Remus, the brothers, the twins, were nursed by the she-wolf under a fig tree. And to convince the Roman Senate... To go to war for the third time with Carthage around 150 BCE, Cato the Elder brought to the debate a handful of figs from Carthage as an example of how close the threat was. Uh And it worked on two levels because he also accused the senators of being feminine, like the insides of a fig. Oh, I know. Harsh diss. Very. I mean, come on, Cato. I hate it when people call me feminine. Yeah, it's the worst, right? (laughs) (laughs) Ancient Greece enjoyed quite a bit of figs as well, and the Spartans included it as an item at their public tables. Um, And public tables, if you're like me and we're like, Uh, they were meals that were open to everyone in certain groups. So I imagine like sorority dinners or something Mm -hmm. is the modern equivalent. (laughs) It was um, another food that ancient Greek Olympians ate to improve performance. 
Figs even play a role in Greek myth. The story goes that Apollo instructed a crow to fetch him some water. But the crow saw a fig tree and could not resist waiting around in the branches for some sweet, sweet fruit to ripen. To cover his tardiness and escape punishment, the crow scoops up a snake along with some water from the stream and blames the snake for his lateness. Apollo is not fooled, however, (laughs) for he is a god. And he hurls the snake, the crow, and the goblet. (laughs) I guess the crow had to collect water into the sky, forming the constellations Hydra, Corvus, and Crater. Oh. Yeah. I love little stories like that. Yeah. Bacchus, from Latin myth, believed the fig was sacred and used it ceremonially. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and here's another fun. I love this. Yeah, yeah. In Greece, figs were known as sykes. I'm going to get six would make more sense. Yes, there you go. Sorry. It looks like sykes, but it is probably pronounced six. After ancient Greek city Sision that was known for its figs. Big fans of figs, the Athenians earned the nickname Sycophants, which translated to fig revealers. And the word came to mean slanderer in ancient Greek. Historians think this is because of the tax imposed on figs brought to markets by Greek farmers. Some farmers would try to skirt the tax, and the farmers that snitched were called fig revealers. Or (laughs) it could come from another meaning of the word fig for gesture or sign of contempt, what Lauren was talking about earlier. It wasn't until English speakers adopted the word in the 16th century that took on its current meaning of flatterer or sucker. <laughs> uh, dried figs were plentiful enough to sometimes replace bread in the ancient Mediterranean. The Greeks also made fig wine and would fatten geese on figs and then eat their livers as a delicacy. Before sugar happened, figs were a common way to sweeten and help preserve foods. Mm-hmm. Written mention of figs in China traced back to the 8th century CE. The writer describes them as fruits without blossoms. They may go back to 127 CE when the emperor put together an expedition to Central Asia, but there is no definitive proof of that. Um, Figs were for sure growing in China by the 14th century CE, but they may not have been the common fig we know. In the 1520s, the Spanish and Portuguese missionaries to the colonies and the New World began introducing fig trees in the Caribbean and then later along the east coast of North America. As mentioned at the top, figs probably came to England with the invading Romans, but the trees died out after the Romans left. They were reintroduced during the, ro- the rule of Henry VIII, and records from 1548 describe fig trees being planted in England. A bit later in 1597, descriptions say, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, that fig trees never mature unless they are planted near a hot wall. <laughs> near a hot wall? A hot wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm going to guess there's some temperature thing happening there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spanish Franciscan missionaries brought fig trees to the west coast of America beginning in 1769. This variety would develop into the mission fig. The mission fig, you Missionaries, say. mission figs. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, in the 1880s, there was another varietal introduced to California that had a little bit more trouble, the Smyrna fig. For a decade, there were all of these cuttings and seeds planted, but their fruit fell off the trees without maturing. It was almost an international scandal. Folks were all going, those Smyrnans fooled us with lousy stock. Those Smyrnans! We should abandon this fig folly! Not fig folly! A writer literally wrote fig folly in an article from the time. Um, But the farmers eventually worked it out with the particular 
perseverance, and no little snark from one George C. Roding of Fresno, who was in his family's uh, fruit business there. It would take 10 years, multiple trips to Turkey, painstaking experiments with hand pollination, and help from entomologists before they managed to get a good crop. And yes, entomologists. They had to import not just the fig plants, but the Blastophaga grossorum, a type of fig wasp, to pollinate those figs. Ooh. Again, with the insects. More on that just a little bit later. Uh, suffice it to say that it worked. And the California fig industry was booming by the end of the 1800s. <laughs> and then, in 1891, the Fig Newton became commercially available after cookie maker Charles M. Roser sold the recipe to Nabisco, which at the time was called Kentucky Biscuit Works. <laughs> if you don't know what these are, they are... Short, rectangular, soft cookies filled with fig jam. I kind of associate them with <laughs> sad <laughs> sadness. Oh, oh goodness. No, 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 no. Just like <laughs> you're you're hoping for something better and side to school lunch and it, it's a, And it's just a fig Newton? Yeah, they're fine. They're oh, fine. I went through a big fig Newton phase. Did you really? I still have a kind of nostalgia for them. Oh, I I, I did read a lot of people have a nostalgia for them. Um, the mass productions of these fig newtons was made possible with the invention of a machine that operated sort of like having two funnels, one inside the other, and through the bigger funnel went the dough, and the smaller funnel went the filling into one long cookie that was cut into bite-sized pieces. Oh, okay. Yeah. A series of tubes. Yeah, Yeah, a series of tubes. That's what the internet is. That's what I hear. (laughs) At first, the cookies were simply called newtons. Allegedly, the machine's inventor, James Henry Mitchell, named the machine after physicist Isaac Newton. But in actuality, they were named after Newton, Massachusetts. Ah. Yeah. The fig part of the name was added a bit later in response to the generally positive reaction to the filling. Yeah, go uh-huh. fig Newtons. Uh, a fig jamboree, a 1951 ad called it. They were called cakes until a 1980s rebrand advertised them as chewy cookies. In a bit of a funny twist, the fig was dropped in 2012, so they once again are simply called Newtons. Hmm. Yeah, in part because figs have an association with old people. What? Yeah, what's wrong with that anyway? <laughs> um, the the write-up for it says, uh, an association with old people similar to prunes, and in part because <laughs> they come in different flavors. That's one of the other reasons. They the, the fake Newtons, not... Yes, not the old people. They are not similar to prunes. No. Um, <laughs> consumers surveyed about the fig part of fig Newtons described them as too laxative-y. Hmm. Uh, that is not a term <laughs> I knew one would use to describe things. Um, <laughs> the senior director in charge of fig Newton said of the decision... It was going to be hard for us to advance the Newton's brand with the baggage of the fig. Wow. Oof. Yeah, harsh. pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. Big baggage. Oh. I know. From the Snackworks website, you can find recipes for Newton's topped with ham and cheese Ooh. or brie Ooh. or as a topping on salad. I don't. Okay, that last one I don't buy. Those first two, I was like, yes. On board. I will use my cookies as crackers and put stuff on top of them <laughs> all the time. That yeah. sounds great. Mm-hmm. But mm. it was a very, I have to say, an appetizing <laughs> image next to the recipe. But, you know, yeah, yeah, no, whatever, try. whatever you like, sure. Yeah. 
Um, and one last thing about the formerly Fig Newton. A huh. uh, 1970s ad campaign featured actor James Harder dressed as a fig named Big Fig and singing. One of the lines is, Is it good darn tootin' doing the Big Fig Newton? The Big Fig Newton. One more time. The Big Fig Newton. Um, modernly, figs are considered both an excellent crop for humans and ecosystems in general. There are records of nearly 1,300 bird and mammal species eating figs, and new fig growth can spread quickly as those creatures travel and, you know, deposit the seeds. Yeah. Sure. Uh, fig trees grow quickly and attract more animals and birds, which in turn deposit more species of seeds. So figs can really help repair deforestation, and their root systems can be cultivated and used to prevent erosion and landslides during stormy seasons. They're pretty great. Yeah. I don't know what Fig Newton talking about. I know. Baggage of the fig. The fig baggage. You'd be so lucky to have the fig. Right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. that's a That's a pleasantly... Up note. Yeah. Uh, a way to end this history section, and it brings us to... <gasps> well, another ad break. But, yes. But then, but then it brings us to all that insect stuff we were talking about earlier. Okay, back in a bit. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women, like, especially when it comes to black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's 
smart, intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun, but then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay, so science portion, fig wasps. Fig wasps. Yes. Because biologically speaking, figs are figging fascinating. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, like I alluded to earlier, a fig as a unit is not strictly a fruit. It's a it's a fruit plus flower situation. It's sort of an inside out cluster of flowers. Each flower bears a seed. And this type of cluster is known as an inflorescence. Inflorescence. Um, the structure protects the flowers and the seeds as they mature, but it also means that pollinating those flowers is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Enter the fig wasp. Of course. Figs of all kinds co-evolved with specific species of wasps that pollinate a fig, this, this inside-out flower cluster, by crawling into one. What? <laughs> These these fig wasps tend to be about about 1.5 millimeters, a.k.a. 0.06 inches in length. They're just tiny little baby buddies. But why, nature? Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> this has led to a sort of urban myth, uh, or rural myth, myth in general, that, uh, that figs contain wasps. And that the crunchy bits inside of figs are wasp bits. Oh. They're not. Okay. <laughs> Uh, First off, many commercially produced figs these days are cultivars, that's human-produced varieties, of trees whose figs uh, can either ripen without pollination or can be prompted to ripen by spraying them with, like, figgy hormones. Figgy hormones? Yeah. (laughs) That's got to be a DJ name somewhere. (laughs) I hope. If not, not, one of y'all get on it. (laughs) Please. But even figs that pollinate to the old-fashioned way don't contain wasps. I will explain. And note, there, there's a few ways that fig wasps can reproduce via fig fruits. Uh, this one is the one that we talk about when we talk about the figs that are generally eaten by humans. Generally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, figs are a chamber to protect seeds. That wee chamber, as it turns out, is also great protection for a lady wasp looking to lay her eggs. Okay. Or... Rather, inedible male figs are. Um, these are called capra figs to distinguish them from female figs, which are the kind we eat and which have too much stuff in them for wasps to lay eggs inside. Okay. But male capra figs are perfect. Uh, so, 
A lady wasp has been buzzing around using whatever the wasp equivalent of Tinder is, and she's ready to lay some eggs. Oh, okay. She finds a suitable fig and crawls in via a tiny hole at the round base of the fig. It's called the eye or the um, osteole. And it's a tight fit. She she probably loses her legs and wings in the process. She's moving in. This will be her final resting place. Okay. It's her home and coffin. Final resting fig, yeah. Uh, but if it is indeed a capra fig, she gets to lay her eggs. When they hatch, uh, the uh, male and female offspring mate with each other. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, yeah. You know, I mean... It's, it took it's, a minute for that to set in, but now, okay. It's 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 insects. It's not incest if it's bugs. It's so <laughs> close, though. It's one letter almost. <laughs> <laughs> when we did a, a video about this on, on Brain Stuff, one time I threw in like a casual joke, like, they're kind of all Targaryens, it's fine. And then I got so many comments that were correcting me, saying that, oh, it's the Lannisters who have an incestual relationship of, on Game of Thrones. But actually, the Targaryens are the ones with a history of incest, and Jamie and Cersei wish that they were. Burn to all you YouTube commenters. Years ago, revenge <laughs> is best served cold, and Lauren has just served it up for you. Really, really cold, and I, I guess it was sort of served. Thank you for, thank you for coming with me on that. Oh, I enjoyed it. Lame revenge journey. Anyway, um, <laughs> the um, the 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 male uh, uh, wasp babies are born wingless and sometimes blind. Their only job in life is to mate and then chew a path out of the fig for the females. For future females? For, 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 their, for their sisters oh, that they've mated with. Oh, yes, 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 okay. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. How could I forget them? Right, right. The females then crawl to freedom, passively collecting pollen uh, from the inside of the male fig along the way, and the cycle continues. The circle of fig. The cir- <laughs> it's the circle of fig. It moves well, some of us. Um, but that's only half the story. If a lady wasp enters a potentially edible female fig instead of this male capra fig, it doesn't have enough room inside for her to lay her eggs, and she will die without reproducing. Oh, no. However, it's not in vain. She'll have carried pollen from her home fig, her her fig of birth, Uh along with her, which will pollinate the female fig and allow it to develop and ripen into a delicious edible fig. For us. (laughs) Your death wasn't in vain. How often does this happen that they go into the wrong fig? I enough that we get to eat figs. So quite often. Yeah. Wow. Uh however, even these figs do not contain any wasp parts by the time you eat them. That is because the fig produces a compound called ficin that can break down the wasp's body, creating food for its growing flowers and seeds. <laughs> so figs are kind of cannibals, but you're not eating wasp parts. Yeah. That is the quote of the episode. <laughs> Right there. <laughs> I'm going to think about that next time I see a fig at the store. You're a cannibal. But there's no wasp parts in there. <laughs> Some vegans do avoid figs for this reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, and ficin, by the way, is also useful to humans for tenderizing meat, rendering fat, and clarifying solutions like booze. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> but hold on. It's, it's actually about to get more intense. What? <laughs> How can that be? The fig wasps that we've been talking about passively pick up pollen when they exit their birth fig. But other fig wasps actively collect pollen and have these specialized pouches on their bodies for that purpose. And uh, research done by Cornell and the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute 
indicates that in the case of these active pollen-collecting wasps, fig trees help evolution select for wasps that actually do the job. Like if a wasp fails to deliver pollen to a fig, the tree will drop the fig early and the wasp's eggs will die before they can hatch. Whoa, that's brutal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Trees that, meanwhile, have co-evolved with passive pollinating wasps almost never abort their fruit. That's fascinating. But they do trick lady wasps into entering female figs and thus pollinating them and also dying without laying their eggs by having their female figs mimic the scent of male figs. Like, dang, fig trees. That is harsh. That's cold. I know. Murderous. Oh, man. Wasps. There, there's really no evolutionary pressure, though, for wasps to avoid being tricked like this because they're so inbred. Uh, you know, any given lady wasp's genes will live on through her sisters. So. The cycle of fig, indeed. <laughs> wow. It's a strange story. It is. Uh, and it, it might all sound like really gross or at the very least like super metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's also just a very cool, uh, example of mutualism in nature in which two species equally benefit from their relationship. Researchers think that figs and fig wasps have been working like this together for 65 million years. Um, which is a really long time to perfect this process. Yeah. Okay. I, I have so many ideas. <laughs> I want to see the cover Photoshop of Jurassic Park, and it's like a fig, you know, where the red thing is on the cover, uh-huh. and then a wasp is the T-Rex, <laughs> work at 65 million years in the making, and then I want to have like a subplot where, <laughs> come with me on this journey, you guys. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I want the figs, so in the family tree of a fig wasp, is there... Is there a fig involved? And if so, on the passport, when you say fig of origin, because fig wasps would have passports in this story that I'm creating. Clearly. How would we differentiate between the different figs? Oh. It's a whole tiny wasp universe out there just waiting to be populated. I know. There's so much to be written and created (laughs) and to discover. And it's all thanks to figs and fig wasps. (laughs) They they really work together to make something beautiful. They do. I hope that um, for at least some of you, you had no idea that we were going to be talking about wasps in this. I don't know how common it is around our office. It's like common knowledge because we did you did that episode yeah. on brain stuff a while ago. Yeah, and Robert Lamb had written an article about it um, right. before that. So yeah, yeah. But I don't know how common it is outside of. I had never heard this myth that uh, that figs contain wasps. No, but apparently it's a relatively common like yeah. like like ew. You're eating a fig. Don't you know that they have wasps in them? Like 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 playground kind of taunt. Oh, whoa! In some a... places, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. My playground is very different in the taunt taunting game. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, if it's enough where I, I certainly had never heard of it until you mentioned it, but if it is enough where some vegans avoid figs, well, just do a little survey, listeners. You should let us know if this was a surprise to you yeah. or you've, you've known it for years. <laughs> but that brings us to the end of the fig episode uh-huh. and to listeners. <laughs> That was kind of a a scary one. Abby wrote, 
I worked at a McDonald's from 1995 to 2005, so I have tons of stories and info. I was there when Disney's Hercules came out, and we featured 99-cent triple cheeseburgers. They were a nightmare. (laughs) Customers would order them by the dozens. What? I was also there when A Bug's Life came out, and McDonald's made an apple cinnamon sauce for chicken nuggets. A side note for me, why? All right, let's continue. (laughs) The sauce tasted terrible with the nuggets, but was quite delicious on a biscuit. As far as our creativity, we would mix the barbecue sauce and honey and then pour it over chopped grilled chicken to then put over a salad or a wrap in a tortilla. We would also make apple pie a la mode and what I called poor man's mocha. This was this was pre-Mick Cafe, a pump or two of fudge topped with coffee, then with enough milk to cool it down to drinkable levels. We would also take the frozen sweetened strawberries and blueberries that are used for the yogurt parfaits and mix them into ice cream. That sounds good. My last McDonald's story involves how the teenagers I worked with referred to the beef patties. Corporate called it reg meat, or regular meat, for the 15 to 1 patties, that is 15 patties to 1 pound of beef, and quarter meat for the 4 to 1. However, in our store, we called it big meat and little meat. (laughs) That makes sense to me, Abby. Absolutely. I just love these. Ah, oh, these movie tie-ins. It, I, I, like I said, I haven't eaten McDonald's in forever, but I was jealous of the toys, and I do remember the Hercules thing. Me too. Oh, it's so oh, strange. Yeah. I feel like the Hades had little wheels on the bottom. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. Uh, but why did they do 99-cent triple cheeseburgers for Hercules? Maybe for the three muses or something? Maybe. Or the, or the chorus ladies? Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I, my only thought was, you know, eat like a uh, eat like Hercules. No, lots of <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, many questions. Huh. Uh, a yogi wrote in about our bagel episode. In my athletic days, we would carb load before games, and bagels were often a significant source of that carb loading, especially from a place called the Royal Flush Bakery and Deli. They had bagels of different sizes, categorized by playing card names. Mini bagels were jacks, regular bagels were queens, and then they had a giant bagel about the size of a frisbee ugh, called the king. I think the owner may have had issues with gambling now that I think about it. The king was about four or five inches thick of super chewy delight. One of the favorites before games and powerlifting competitions would be a bagel sandwich that would probably enrage any bagel purist, but it was pretty much the holy grail to us high school idiot kid athletes. Called the Royal Flush, it was pretty much a Dogwood-style sandwich and was a sliced-everything king bagel piled high with pastrami, corned beef, turkey, fried chicken breast, pork belly, brisket, roast duck, Swiss provolone, and aged white cheddar. It also <laughs> had lettuce, tomato, pickle spears, and a homemade garlic pepper aioli. Everything made in house. I am six foot six, and this thing was bigger than my head. This beast was served on a pizza pan with a mountain of steak fries, onion rings, and a tub of jus for dipping. <laughs> we would pile into this place. Each order the royal flush and do our best Shaggy and Scooby impression to get that Frankenstein's monster of a sandwich into our gaping maws. It was a glorious mess, and I finished with every bite, making me feel closer to nirvana and diabetes. Anyway, the bagel cast just brought back those memories, and with all the talk of bagel sacrilege, I thought this would be a good story to share. It was. Yes. Oh, thank you. That does sound... I feel like I would get through about three and a half bites, but that sounds delicious. I can't imagine 
biting into it. Well, I, I meant like with a knife and fork or like chain, right. chainsaw, like what, chainsaw. whatever is appropriate for the situation. Right. A chainsaw bagel situation. Yeah. When, I, when I was reading at first the, all the stuff on it, fried chicken breast was where I was like, what? And then it just kept going and going. <laughs> that is indeed the everything bagel. It is. Oh, man. It sounds it sounds so good, though. It's yeah, it does sound very good. And y'all do whatever you want with your bagels, man. Like, I yeah. I mean, you know, just because I have opinions about it doesn't mean you shouldn't do what yeah, you, you want. You can have your own opinions. Yeah, definitely. That's the beauty of bagel opinions. Yes. And <laughs> in fact, if you do, uh, you can you can write to us. I think they think these think these fine yes. humans for writing to us. But if you you would like to. You can do so. Um, our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us at foodstuffhsw on Facebook and Twitter. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. Uh, we hope to hear from you. Thank you so much to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, <laughs> who looks surprised and honored. <laughs> he, he didn't know he was here. <laughs> Uh, Thanks to y'all for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.